Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Straight out of Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. On this episode, Chelsea thrash Man United 1-1. The Blues are two wins away from the WSL title. There's a reunion with old friends on Merseyside and a quiz. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight Outta Cobham. Here we are again then, gang. A day later than normal, thanks for that Thursday night fixture for Chelsea. I'm Matt Davis-Adams. I'm joined today by the Athletics Chelsea correspondent, Simon Johnson, fresh from Manchester, or fresh in Manchester even. Yes, the sun is basking. I'm basking in the sun here, Manchester, shining through my hotel window. Um, if only Chelsea's strike force could shine in front of goal. <laughs> that sunshine is giving you a beautiful glaze uh, to your always sunny features. Um, <laughs> Sam Park is also with us today, former Chelsea man. Uh, Sam, how are you doing? Very good, Matt. Good morning, Simon. Morning. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's get straight to Thursday night's game then. Chelsea have no time to rest on their laurels. There's only one team who deserves to win, that's us, but we didn't take it. So um, it's our responsibility to, to, to win a game like this where we dominate in all, in all important areas of the match. May it be offensively, defensively. Um, um, it was very, very good performance, but uh, we were not, not decisive enough, not clinical enough. Lack a bit of determination today. Like felt like like we lack a bit of determination in the box to 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 win this game because it would have been absolutely deserved. All square at Old Trafford. Lord knows how Chelsea battered Manchester United, but could only convert one of their myriad chances whilst United scored with their only serious attempt of the game. Uh, Simon, you were there. It was a frustrating old night, and Thomas Tuchel probably still wondering how his team didn't leave with all the points. Yeah, yeah. Um, head scratching. Um, I think I've lost a few more follicles uh, on my head. Um, it is, it's so frustrating, but almost predictable, because Chelsea on this ridiculous run against the worst Manchester United side of, of a generation... Their last win at Old Trafford, uh, uh, I think they, they they certainly used to have the best record of any team at Old Trafford. I'm not sure whether that's the case now. Um, but their last win and the last guy that scored the winning goal was Juan Mata in 2013 when, when United last won the title. And, and it's bizarre because you just go, Chelsea have beaten the best United sides in their history, but they can't beat this one. And last night was just another baffling exercise of dominating a game not taking chances and then one sort of slip up or, or sort of one moment where they've lost concentration shortly after they finally did hit the back of the net and they're punished for it and it's a very familiar tale unfortunately of of the season um certainly since um November when funny enough they drew one all against a terrible Manchester United side that they dominated uh, at Stamford Bridge so very frustrating. Weirdly, though, Tuchel post-match, I think it was an attempt to try and deflect some of the attention, some of the criticism away from his strikers. Um, he was sort of asked, oh, you know, is this where you need to improve to catch up with Liverpool Man City? And he talked about injuries and he was sort of saying, oh, it's the injuries that's been the main factor. I, I think that's a bit of a smokescreen. I think when, when you've got Kai Havertz, for example having two at least two chances bang in front of De Gea and he and he hits hits the ball straight at him, one with his foot, one with his head both times, then you know, it comes down to that basically. 
Uh, Simon's post-match piece for The Athletic delves into the numbers also points out how much Chelsea have spent since Diego Costa trying to get a recognised striker. There was me thinking, Sam, when uh, Havertz was missing those chances and Werner and everybody else too. It'd be great if Chelsea had a £100 million striker on the books to to be able to bring on and, and sort this out. And lo and behold, they have, they did, and nobody passed to him. Yeah, they didn't really contribute, I didn't think. Him or Pulisic. I think Lukaku just had the four touches and the the domination that Simon talks of, it kind of plateaued, I would say, after they entered the fray, which was disappointing. I think they both got 20 minutes and I think there was just the three shots um, after that, that, that minute. So a little bit frustrating. Read Simon's piece this morning and... Um, I had the same chain of thought, really, you know, thinking about the comparison with, with City and, and Liverpool. And I think it's, it's fascinating. Um, you've obviously got the, the, the added threat of the wing-backs at Chelsea, but essentially Manchester City are playing with one more goal threat. I think I'd argue they create probably better quality of chances as well. And, and Liverpool have got three out-and-out goal scorers. Um, the, the numbers show you that in Salah, Mane uh, and Jota the, this season. So... The returns of the the Chelsea forward players hasn't been anywhere near good enough or what Thomas Tuchel would have anticipated from this season. It's a big problem. I don't know whether it's structurally. I don't know what Simon thinks about that because the system essentially won them the Champions League last season and Havertz has had good success playing as a a nine. So I'm not sure if changing the system next season would, would have you know much of a difference because they're still creating chances. They're still creating a number of chances. You'd love to have Fabregas. I've seen someone comment to to Simon today, of course, but how many players have there been of that ilk in the Premier League ever? I mean, he can, you know, put a paw on a, on a sixpence from 70 yards away. So, yeah, it would be lo- lovely to have that luxury, but it, it, it's not going to happen because those players aren't out there. Yeah, no, I was, Sam rightly raised that point because there's already there's already been some feedback on my article, which is sort of saying, oh, it's it's not the only issue. There's other things to worry about. There's, of course, the centre back situation, midfield. I think there's definitely a lack of creativity there, uh, for sure. I mean, Jorginho has provided two two sublime assists that I remember um, in in recent months. Of course, the the one for Havertz against Newcastle springs to mind. And there was one, I think, soon after that, trying to make, was it Pulisic? Um, one he set up for Pulisic. But um, but it's not enough. You, you look at that midfield as Jorginho, Conte, Kovacic, um, all good players in their own right. But in terms of uh, setting things up, you, you don't see that creativity on a week-in, week-out kind of basis. I think the lack of Chilwell and James since November... Um, if we go back to Chilwell's knee injury, is significant. But it still boils down to the fact, and we've seen it in the last few weeks, and I mentioned it in the piece, Benzema, you know, four goals against Chelsea, took his every chance, basically, apart from that one sitter at Stamford Bridge, if, if memory recalls. And like Ronaldo last night, you know, one chance, one goal. And and it is very frustrating because you think back to the Didier Drogba, Diego Costa time and there was this kind of feeling that those guys would that they they would score more often than not they wouldn't miss too many chances they they did provide that cutting edge and Chelsea is despite their best efforts you can't criticize the club in many ways you know they've spent basically 300 million quid trying to find the answer but it's still not there Havertz is a player of great promise but he doesn't strike me as someone that's going to sort of match the the 20 plus levels that, that Chelsea need right now. But the solution this summer, like where, where is it going to come from? Are Chelsea going to have the money to go out and buy again? Can they actually get rid of Lukaku, who clearly looks is sending out that message to the way he plays, he wants to leave? I think Werner, you know, it's, it, it is a real worry sort of going forward. Um, with the caveat that, you know, you hear yourself talking, you go, Chelsea have played, I think, out of the potential 66 games they could have played this season, they're playing 63. So they've not had a bad season, but of course they're, 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 they compare badly compared to the two teams above them. And that's why you have to look at these things as to why there's this gap between them. Just the thought I had um, after the game last night, do you think you'd be tempted to put Reese James in midfield, Simon, at, at, at hmm. any stage, just because of his importance to Chelsea? He did it for Wigan, and didn't he, a few times that season? He, he, he did. 
I think we discussed it probably when there was a bit of a dearth of options early part of the season. I just think he's becoming I mean, so pivotal. Last night showed, didn't it? I mean, that was a masterclass again from him. Um, and, and I said at early part of the season, there was a period when I thought he was he was probably in the top three players in the Premier League. Honestly, in terms of his level of performance, I think Salah over the piece will deserve yeah. to get the accolades. But, you know, I could say I could seriously see him doing a job in there. He, he certainly gives you a goal threat. Uh, I saw a tweet, I think, shortly after the game, something like, if only we had 11 Reese James. <laughs> Which, we, I mean, the guy last night, he, he deserves a shout out, you know, from this start. We've started on a very negative front for obvious reasons, but my word, it was. I know United sort of gave him the freedom of Old Trafford, but just just cl- absolute class. And even the Manu Matic, I think, at one point regretted going <laughs> chest to chest with him. Um, although I was quite impressed that Reese walked away from that little confrontation. I thought that showed a bit of maturity as well. But again, we, we haven't seen enough of Reese James in 2022. So Tuchel does have a point when he highlights his absence because he is so massive for them. I mean, in terms of Sam's sort of point about playing midfield, I, I just think Chelsea would lose something from that right flank. I just think he's so dangerous. I'd rather him there, though, than where Tuchel's been playing with late as the centre-back, right-side centre-back. I think I think Chelsea need him as that attacking option because when he's not on that right flank, there's no one near as good as him that can... That can um, gets forward as much for one those crosses, etc., and also defensively. Mm. It's a shame Chelsea didn't win last night because then they would have practically been in the top four and then they could experiment uh, for the final few games of the season. Uh, so Reese James came back in, did really well. Tony Rudiger also started. Sam, I thought it was fascinating that Thomas Tuchel in his pre-match with, with Sky Sports was asked, do you think he's going to be affected? How do you think he's going to play? And he said, I don't know, like you, I'm waiting to see. I thought that was a, a really revealing answer. I guess he's in the position where he can do that, Tuchel, knowing that he's going to leave. But he was okay, wasn't he, Rudiger? It wasn't like the Chelsea defence were particularly examined. No, it's probably a little tongue-in-cheek from Tuchel. But no, I thought he was he was uh, the same old Rudiger, really. Um, you know, aggressive and what he had to do, he did, he did fine. I don't think there, there's going to be any doubts about his attitude dropping off because of the type of player he is, the, the charisma he's, he's always shown, the character he's shown since he's been at, at Chelsea. So, yeah, not tested um, last night, but no, I wouldn't have any doubts that the Chelsea fans would react to him in, in the fashion that they did either. You know, they, they gave him um, support, I think, and that's just because he's been a, he's been a brilliant servant. They love his endeavour, and I think that will continue, no problem. Simon, before we move on from this game, Sam mentions the Chelsea fans there. They were the ones that you could hear predominantly through the um, through the TV throughout the night. What what was the atmosphere like? Because obviously it was, what, 20 minutes until some supporters took their seats as part of a, an anti-Glazers protest? It was the least Chelsea-Manchester United game I've ever been to, if, if that makes any sense. It was, it was bizarre. For starters, you know, the, the fact that you've got Europa League games overshadowing Manchester United v Chelsea says a lot. Going to the game, normally when, I'm, when I've been commuting to Old Trafford, there's a lot of buzz around the crowd, songs, etc. There was absolutely nothing. In fact, um, <laughs> my, the hotel I'm staying at, the, uh, the guy that checked me in said, I'm glad I'm working tonight so I don't have to watch the game. <laughs> and, 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 and I think that... that it, it was bizarre, and and it was silent for long periods. Old Trafford, absolutely. Of course, apart from the the Chelsea fans, that there was, it, it was like everyone there from the crowd, the staff, because of course Rangnick's talking about going off to Austria, or, or that's what's going to happen. Um, the players, everyone just wants the season to end as soon as possible, and the the only the only sort of spark, the only sort of vibe, buzz around the place is Ronaldo, like the the, the people outside the ground. A pitching Ronaldo merchandise. It's Ronaldo. It's not Manchester United. It's get you Ronaldo scarf, get you Ronaldo's top, get you Ronaldo this, that, and the other. And of course, he scores his first Premier League goal um, against Chelsea, which I didn't realise. I must admit, I it flashed up on the screen in front of me. I went, could that be right? That like Ronaldo's never scored a league goal against Chelsea. That just sounds bonkers, but. Um, but yeah, a very, very, very strange occasion. Um, although United fans did seem to find their voice on the tram home that I was <laughs> that I was in, 
and I was very tempted to pipe up and go, where was this during the game? But uh, but understandably, the the most noise, final point, is the most noise I heard was was Glazers out, and I and I and I thought, mm, Chelsea fans jeered, kind of ironically, mockingly, and I must admit, I, I made a mental note to self: could this be you guys in a year or two? Mm. Let's hope not. Well, a point for Chelsea still leaves them well set to qualify for the Champions League for next season. They are eight clear of fifth-placed Spurs. Uh, Simon alluded to the takeover there. We'll have a brief chat about that next. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. So the three remaining interested parties met with the current club's hierarchy this week. Then the UK Culture Secretary, Nadine Doris, helpfully waded into the issue, telling the BBC that Chelsea are on borrowed time and must be sold within weeks. I mean, Simon, this isn't even her department, is it? I mean, what's she doing wading into this and, and why does she think that's going to be helpful? Is this just government deflection of their own massive failings? <laughs> well, isn't there? <laughs> We're going all political. Um, I, I would sort of say she's also stating the obvious. Everyone knows yeah. when the deadline is. So, yeah, there's weeks to go. Well, yeah, of course. The deadline's made thir- 31st in terms of the, lo- the special licence that Chelsea have. So, well, so yeah. It, but maybe it is sending that bit of a message out there because there has been this this sort of a bit of a curveball this week, which, which Matt Slater, in case anyone hasn't read it yet, has done a very good sort of little piece explaining this sort of late curveball that at a brand rich or through a brand rich there's been this this message sent to the three uh, parties when they made their final pitch to the club this week um that 500 million pounds has to be um it's not added to the total price but it needs to be added to the the the, the amount that goes to the foundation that he wants to set up so that is sort of seems to have put a little bit of um yeah a little spanner in the works as in all oh, right they've got fine this money has to be paid instantly by the way this so it makes about a million i think uh not a billion a billion rather a million wouldn't be a problem would it mm-hmm. um so so yeah i mean it's it's very frustrating for everyone concerned i mean tuchel talked about it earlier this week the effect it's already having on on his transfer and summer plans and of course it's had this huge impact on rudiger's future he, he's the reason he's leaving, one of the reasons he's leaving is he can't wait anymore uh, to, to find out what's going on, which I think is understandable. Um, but hopefully, suggestion, as, as Matt points out, that this this preferred bidder may be sort of announced next week. Um, who knows, it might be done by the time this pod comes out, but it doesn't sound like it. It sounds like the, this, this late little uh, hitch, as it were, has, has just sort of pushed things back a few days. Simon, do you get the sense that if the the ownership saga drags on a little bit, that the the club would be comfortable in giving more minutes, giving opportunities to the likes of Gallagher and and Colwell and uh, and people like that that are going to be back in the summer. Do you think they're going to plan for that eventuality? Maybe Thomas Tuchel and his staff. I, I think they they already were Sam. To be honest, um, or Tuchel certainly was very keen to 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 look at them in pre season. That that's pretty much been. Mm on the cards for months. He's a big fan of both of them. Um, Gallagher, as far as his loan goes, basically, Patrick Vieira pitched very, very strongly to Chelsea. And of course, Vieira knows Petr Cech very, very well. And I think it was basically explained to Thomas Tuchel, what would you, what would you prefer? Um, Because Tuchel had basically planned for him to be in the squad. Um, and it was pitched to Thomas Tuchel, what would you prefer, sort of having Conor, Conor Gallagher play the odd game here and there, or for him to play basically every week for Palace and come back, not the finished article, but much more advanced. Um, and that was sold to Tuchel. He agreed with it. 
and essentially I'd be very surprised if Conor Gallagher isn't part of the squad next season unless unless the new owners think right let's make some money that that that's the mm. that's the, the the worry if you if you're a Chelsea supporter that that because Conor Gallagher costs an absolute fortune you know make him a lot of money and as for Levi Colwell I think inevitably now um with with Christensen going Rudiger going Chelsea might see Azpilicueta going as well. They can't splash the budget on on all on centre backs. So, Colwell has done brilliantly for for Huddersfield. So I think they'll they'll really seriously consider making him kind of like the next Travis Chalaber. Um, certainly, Tuchel will look at him. Um, the plan is to really look at him in pre season. But again, if a big offer comes in, you know, will, will it give the new owners a decision to make? Have to head to theathletic.com slash Chelsea pod to sign up and find out. That's where you can get all the latest information on the takeover. Okay, we'll get back to the football next as Chelsea visit the Northwest this weekend. So Chelsea heading to Goodison Park on Sunday to take on relegation threatened Everton. It's a reunion with Frank Lampard, Joe Edwards, Ashley Cole and Paul Clement all part of the Everton staff. Uh, I guess Lampard and co Sam will have been hoping that Chelsea would have won last night so that they were, you know, one and a half feet in the Champions League for next year. But actually they need to go to Everton and and get a positive result. Do you think they can do it? I think so. Although recent history would would tell you no. And not to give Frank Lampard any unnecessary guidance from me, but they could do a lot worse than probably watching some of those, those videos back actually and some of those performances. Uh, given the personnel's uh, Chelsea's case is very similar. Um, obviously, he was in the in the dugout, wasn't he? For I think a couple of the defeats. So I'm sure they'll do that um, and and try and catch Chelsea on a on a bad day and try and pry on on where they had success last time. Um, but they they seem to be a little bit tighter defensively. I think that the numbers show over the last half half a dozen games in comparison to to how he started uh, at Everton. So. I don't think they're going to be a soft touch by any stretch of the imagination, but um, they can't score goals, can they? I think that's the that's the Achilles heel. And with just Richarlison kind of as your your focal point, he's very hit and miss. I've seen him have some fantastic games, but he's liable of missing easy chances as well. So um, yeah, a game I expect Chelsea to win, but I do see it as a game that Thomas Tuchel will probably make a, one or two changes. You know, Simon's shaking his head. He's been it's before. over. I'm, I'm calling it now. <laughs> I've been to Goodison Park so many times and watched the same performance by both teams, actually. Everton playing a sort of very ugly, aggressive, physical, in-your-face, set-piece style of football and Chelsea folding. And I I just, I'll be very surprised if there isn't a repeat. I think you've got, this is a game between a team that's got something to play for and a team that is kind of just going through the motions a little bit. Um, waiting for the cup final and, and thinking top four is, is is already secured. Also, there's the um, the fact that Chelsea have played Thursday night and then they've got to play sort of a Sunday lunchtime job. Everton have had full time, full week to prepare. So, yeah, I've got my full, I think I've got, you know, those that listen, regular listeners think I'm a negative to so-and-so. I've got my full negative hat on. <laughs> I'm saying, I'm saying home win, uh, Frank Lampard giving it the old, um, you know, fist bumps and you know, gestures and giving it large to to the Everton fans, and and probably the uh, the away fans singing Super Frankie Lampard because um, he's he's still revered, obviously, among them. Yeah, I bet he'll have a moment with them as well. So Everton two points from safety, but with a game in hand on Burnley. Uh, Simon Andreas Christensen not in the squad for Thursday. Safe to assume he's done in terms of Chelsea games now. Um, Tuchel was asked, because he, he did his preview post-Man uh, United, and, and he did say that he was in contention, or he expected him to be in contention. But I'm kind of like, what's the point? You know, I, I, I'm very much of the opinion, OK, I know, know it's double standards because Rudiger's still playing, but I, I just think, no, you know, it's time it's time for Chelsea's lit to the future and 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 I would be playing Trevor Chalibur instead. Um, if you're going to make a change in the in the back, of course, you might go with the same 
same back five as as, as uh, what played at Old Trafford. But if you're going to make a change, I'd rather see Chalaba play um, because he's going to be there next season. Would you put Lukaku in for this one, Sam, against his old club, misfiring strike force on Thursday night? <laughs> yeah, I would. <laughs> I hey. try. I try absolutely everything. I'd, I'd go further than that. Yeah, I'd, I'd sit him down and let him, make him watch his, his goals for Everton at Goodison Park. Um, yeah. So it can't hurt, can it? And he's going to have to have an opportunity. He's going to have to rotate the squad. And I think, you know, looking at the, the, the games and the, the days and the turnaround, um, Sunday and the Leeds game are the, the obvious two where you, you're going to have to wrap people up a little bit, I think. And the, the Wolves game, if you still require a win or a point or, or whatever, or you want to go for it a bit more, there's the, the time to recover before the cup final after that one. We'll have to wait and see. It is uh, two o'clock on Sunday UK time that Everton and Chelsea square off at Goodison Park. Well, it wasn't just the Chelsea men's team who were in action on Thursday night. We'll chat about what the women's team got up to next. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. An equalizer that Chelsea have to respond to. Harder plays it in. What about that four spots? What about that? Sam Kerr on the money, on the mark. And this Chelsea side never, never accept a down moment. They are the comeback kings. On Thursday night, Chelsea jumped a significant hurdle in the WSL title race by completing the second part of their double header against Spurs with a 2-1 win at Kings Meadow. Joining us now to tell us more is the patron saint of podcasting, the incomparable Flo Lloyd Hughes. Um, Flo... Feels like one of those classic, never mind the performance, here's the three points kind of games. Yeah, it's obviously a bit of a bizarre situation because they only played on Sunday, so not long ago, and then they had to do it all over again um, because this game has been postponed twice already. So it's just been this game that I think people felt like was never going to happen. But it finally has. Um, Good crowd as well. Uh, about 3,600, which for a midweek WSL game is really strong. When the men were playing at the same time as well, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and I think it's been really good that the Emma Hayes put pressure on uh, on the government to, to lift and ease some of the st- restrictions on the women's team. And that's allowed them to to sell tickets for games. And I think hopefully there should be a really good, a really good turnout at the last home game of the season against Manchester United on the last day. Um but yeah, all in all, uh, a sometimes scrappy Chelsea performance. Emma Hayes put out a really attacking lineup. Aaron Cuthbert started, Beth England started, Sam Kerr started, Panilla Harder started for the first time in in a fair while after being injured. Um, so it was a very, very attacking lineup, and it only took Chelsea twenty minutes to to get their noses in front, and then Spurs equalised just before half time from a corner, but then. Chelsea got themselves back in front about 30 seconds later through a Sam Kerr header. Um, some bad defending, really, uh, from corners and set pieces, I think, from both teams. Chelsea probably could have had two penalties for handball. Um, the referee did miss some big ones there. But overall, you know, a sort of got the job done performance, like you said. Emma Hayes, more effective at lobbying the UK government than the opposition who would have thought it. Um, in terms of the turnaround of games, I, I was kind of thinking, oh, does that, that make it more difficult to prepare? But obviously you'd get that if they were playing a two-legged cup tie. Was maybe the thing that hindered Chelsea in terms of putting on a you know a stunning performance, more the fact that they played for, what, pretty much an hour with only 10 players in the game on Sunday? 
Yeah, I mean, Spurs have never taken a point off Chelsea in the WSL ever since they've been there since 2019. So they don't have a brilliant record against Chelsea. But in these last two games, they actually have caused them a lot of problems. Um, Rianne Skinner made quite a few changes last night. I would say it's probably a weaker Spurs team. Jessica Naz was out with injury and she was really good on Sunday. And Ashley Neville, who's been really good the second half of the season, was also absent with injury. So I think those two changes really affected... Spurs didn't really have a lot of pace, a lot of aggression going forward. And I think that it was a much slower game. And I think that probably forced Chelsea to play at a bit of a slower pace as well. They weren't pressing like we usually see them last night. Um, They gave Spurs a fair bit of time in the ball, but then Spurs... You know, they did force a lot of mistakes from from Spurs, especially in the second half, to create a lot of chances that they probably should have done better with. But yeah, that... That game on Sunday was a little bit bizarre because the losing a losing a player did kind of change the whole dynamic of the game. Um, but I think probably what the two games have shown more than anything is is Chelsea do look quite vulnerable defending set pieces, conceding two goals from corners. Um, but equally, their their two goals one came from a cross in from the right hand side, and one of them came from a corner themselves. So they're causing a lot of trouble as well in the box, and and are very dangerous in the air with with Beth England and Sam Kerr. But those defensive issues that have been so present throughout the whole season are still are still there, and I think it's probably the big gap when it comes to getting far in Europe, and also probably something Emma Hayes will want to think about ahead of the FA Cup final against Man City in a couple of weeks. Well, you mentioned Bethany England there. Um, she deserves the maddest of props, doesn't she? Because we were kind of writing her off earlier this season. Obviously, she's she's had to come in uh, because of Frank Kirby's absence. But it feels like she's she's hit the form that she was in a couple of years ago when she when she came back from Liverpool. Yeah, it's massive for, for Beth England because I think start of the season, a lot of people thought she should have gone. She should have found a move to another WSL side where she could be uh, a, a guaranteed starter and probably have a a, a 20-goal season. She signed a new contract with Chelsea last year, which I think people were a little bit surprised about as well. And it almost felt like she was maybe a little resigned to the fact that she was just going to be a squad player, but a squad player that was going to win a lot of trophies and be part of a very successful group, which is perfect for a lot of different players. But a lot of people that know Beth will know that she's very hungry. She she wants to play a lot of football. So I think that's why it was surprising because her personality, her drive would not be satisfied with being a squad player. But with uh, Fran Kirby's injury issues, fatigue issues, Beth in England's really just stepped up and um, grabbed her opportunity and proven that you know she she can be the player when, when Emma Hayes needs her. And, Unfortunately, it's unclear when Fran Kirby might be back. Um, and Beth in England could become a massive player for England as well this summer at the Euros because it's probably unlikely that Fran Kirby's going to play a part. And six months ago, Fran Kirby looked like she was going to be a key part of Chelsea and England's season. She you know, played fantastically in the FA Cup final in December and was playing some of the best football of her life. And unfortunately, you know, just... Her health uh, has been so cruel to her and and we hope and I'm sure everyone says the same thing that she can get back for next season because it's such a shame when when such a good player like that can't uh, can't play, especially with the form that they've been in. But it's great to see Beth in England playing so well. So the situation then, four points clear of Arsenal. They've got a game in hand. Chelsea's last two are at Birmingham on Sunday and then finish at home to Man United. Arsenal got Villa and Spurs at home and then West Ham. I mean, it's reasonable to expect that Arsenal will win all those three games, isn't it? So so Chelsea are going to need to finish with, with six points. And if they do, that'll get them over the line. Yeah, I think so. I think maybe the only potential banana skin... I mean, there are, there are a couple of banana skins. I think we're firstly looking at Arsenal... Aston Villa took points off Manchester United last week and that ended their hopes of Champions League, really. Um, and I think Arsenal probably looking at that and thinking, oh, we might have to be careful because United had over 60% of the ball in that game. I think they had uh, maybe 17 shots, but only sort of five or six on target. And that's a definite warning to Arsenal because that's exactly the sort of way that Arsenal could be frustrated. I mean, they comfortably beat Villa earlier on this season, but... Um, you you never know, really. So I think that'll be a warning sign for Arsenal this weekend. And then Arsenal got a game against Spurs at the Emirates. I think think Arsenal will win that game because I think they will 
play better on a much bigger pitch than Spurs will. I think Spurs will struggle on that pitch. But we saw Spurs hold Arsenal to a draw earlier this season. Probably should have won it. Ashley Neville missed a massive chance to go 2-0 up. And then Vivian Miedemar got the equaliser for Arsenal very late on. So I, I think that that might be playing in the back of their mind. So I think that's, they're two big, big potential banana skins for Arsenal coming up. And then for Chelsea, I think they're probably quite relieved that United aren't playing really for the Champions League anymore because that last game of the season has a slightly different narrative to it now because it was looking like it was going to go down to the wire with Chelsea fighting for the league and United fighting for the Champions League. But I think by the time we get to that point, United will be overtaken by City as they play their game in hand. And in reality, I think United may be resigned to the fact that it's not going to be their year for Europe this year. And that that should play into Chelsea's hands. But United are still a good team. But every single time Chelsea have faced them, they have shown the gap that exists between sort of the four and under group of teams and the top three. Uh, finally then, Flo, give us a prediction. Are Chelsea going to win the league? I think so. I think so. I think in the moments this season where they've shown signs of perhaps dropping points or making mistakes they have come through those moments pretty professionally pretty impressively that eight winner against Villa kind of being the prime example and then that game against Spurs on Sunday doing it with 10 men uh, and having to come from a goal behind as well so I think they've shown a lot of resilience and I think Arsenal when the same questions have been asked of them this season they haven't really shown that same resilience that same determination to overcome those hurdles and those challenges. So that's why I think Arsenal are still a season off and a big summer window away from, I think, challenging Chelsea for the WSL title. Let's hope you're right. Thanks, Flo. Speak to you soon. Thanks, guys. Flo Lloyd-Hughes there. You can read her in The Athletic. So that was earlier when I spoke to Flo. Since then, Sam Kerr has been named as the FWA Footballer of the Year. And that is thanks in no small part to the contributions of Sam and Simon, both of whom voted for her. Uh, Simon, what what was it that that made you pick her from the fact that she scored more goals than everybody else in the league and is clearly the best player in it? (laughs) That's it. Yeah. (laughs) It's pretty pretty straightforward, isn't it, really? but, but But no, I... I think it's also because I know it's a lazy comparison, but there was that. Remember, we were on the pod when we were sort of kind of comparing her to, to Timo Werner a little bit. You know, she 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 was missing a lot of chances when she first joined, and there was a lot of talk about, well, oh, you know, it's not really working out, is it? So, so for her to bounce back and show the player that the quality of the player she is, on top of the fact that obviously so many of those goals have been crucial to hopefully. Chelsea women going on to winning the title. Um, I, I just felt that, yeah, if it, she's basically what the men's team lack, isn't she? Yeah, totally. I put that in the Chelsea TV group chat last night, actually. If Sam Kerr plays in this game, she gets a hat trick. <laughs> I don't think that that's a stretch <laughs> at all. Um, Sam, the other thing that's really impressed me about her this season, well, two things, actually. One, last season it was all about Kirby, as in K-E-R-R-B-Y, and their link up together. She's not been able to have that this season, but she's adapted. And the other thing is, it seems like every other game she plays, she's played an international somewhere mm. in Australia or New Zealand or somewhere mm. thousands and thousands of miles away. And and she comes back next game, bang at it, scores a goal. That, mm. That's phenomenal. She's got to be so fit and mentally sharp to be able to do that. Yeah, absolutely. I can't really add anything to what either of you have said. I, the, the point that Simon made was the one I would have made. Yeah, when she first came in, obviously incredible pedigree, but uh, looked anxious in front of goal and, and technique letting her down and stuff like that. And you think, oh, if they, they made a bit of a rick here, but the way that she's recovered... Uh, is incredible, and now the clinical element to, to her game is is astonishing. So yeah, it's been yeah. There's a, a few a few strikers in in the, in the men's first team. He could he could look at the way that she's turned their Chelsea career around, and, and a lot of strikers of uh, the last decade or so who haven't been able to do, do the business when they've done the number nine. So she's done wonderfully well. And she's a striker, and I always vote for strikers. That's the rule. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, well done, Sam Kerr. 
Elsewhere in Chelsea news, the under-23s feeling much better about life after they earned a 2-1 win against Brighton at the Amex on Monday night. Lewis Hall and Jay Wareham got the goals, which mean Andy Meyer's team still in the relegation zone, but now just a point behind third bottom leads and crucially have a game in hand. That is at Blackburn on Sunday. Chelsea finish at home to Spurs on the 8th of May, by which time Leeds will have played their final game. That's at Arsenal tonight as we record, aka Friday. The under-18s host Crystal Palace in the league on Saturday before going to Craven Cottage to face Fulham in the final of the under-18 Premier League Cup on Wednesday of next week. Right, next, we quiz. Okay, three questions per contestant. Chelsea versus Everton, the theme here. Uh, Simon, you're up first. Who scored Everton's equaliser when the teams met at the bridge in December? At the back post. <laughs> What's that jig? Larkin's doing a jig of delight. He Marking knows it. Uh, back post is a set piece. He's kind of not a big name player either, is it? Saying nothing. Is he, is he young? Young? Quite a young player. Wasn't actually young. No. <laughs> <laughs> Braithwaite can't give you I'm afraid Sam steal it I thought you said it Branthwaite isn't it Branthwaite yes not Braithwaite Uh, (laughs) no you've got to have that hasn't he I'll let him have that (laughs) no uh, I'm I'm the quiz master Uh, can you give me a first name actually Sam please is it Jared Jared Branthwaite, yeah, you get the point there. Unlucky, Simon, but, you know, the Athletic are sticklers for accuracy, right? I'll take anything. I'll take anything against Johnson. (laughs) Absolutely anything. Uh, Sam, let's see how you fare with your first question. Which striker made their final Chelsea appearance in a 2-1 win against Everton at Stamford Bridge in March 1993? Oh, my. 2-1-1993. 2-1-93. 2-1-93. There is a semblance of logic to this question. We know who the contenders were from around that period. Just... Not really, but is it? I'm going to go for... Is that stupid? I don't know if someone who played for both teams. Graham Stewart. Not a striker, so no, that's incorrect. Is um, he is he not a, does he not play off Central Vista for me? He's not anyway. a false nine, does he not play as a ten? <laughs> in the modern day. Help me here, Simon. Uh Simon, can you steal it? I must admit I was gonna say Graham Stewart. So so it's a striker that played his yes. last game against Everton in nineteen. Final Chelsea appearance. Final Chelsea appearance Strike around that time Hello, Mick Harford Mick Harford is absolutely correct <laughs> Sam's mentor and idol Mick Harford I spoke to him last Monday as well and he did not tell me that his final Chelsea game was against Everton Texas well, that's, right. that's right out there with Mal Donaghy as far as I'm concerned <laughs> Well, listen, I think the, the purists, the neutrals <laughs> and the Johnson stands will be pleased with that because there's a bit get. of controversy about the first question, but you pulled it back to one all. Um, OK, Simon, here's your second. In seven games against Chelsea for the Toffees, how many goals did Stephen Naismith score? Remember that period where he just scored against yeah, Chelsea? Yeah, he scored every, every time, time including, a hat- including a hat-trick. So that, that gives me a bit of a clue. Mm. And so, um, seven games. Seven games. I'm going to go five. Sam, would you like to steal it? Oh. You've got, the <laughs> guys are unbelievable show. at these ones normally. <laughs> Try not to swear. Um, six. Six is correct. Oh. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> annoying Scott. It was that period where it was either him or Louis Saha always scored. Uh, okay, so it's two. Sorry, that's a Reese James off the post, that is. It is, yeah. It's, 
fascinating as well. I'm sure somebody who makes a note of this kind of thing can tell us whether there's ever been a quiz where all the points have been gained from stealing other people's answers. But that's what we're looking at at the moment. Uh, Question number two is for you, Sam. Who scored his first Premier League goal for Chelsea in a 3-1 defeat at Goodison Park in December 2019? I remember the game. Mm, I was there. The one that Big Big Dunk was in charge for, wasn't it? Big Dunk's first one. He was buzzing. I was given short shrift by Frank Lampard afterwards. Could I have a point for telling you <laughs> scored for Everton? Uh, no. Calvert-Lewin got two, didn't he? Yeah. You got the I, Chelsea I goal, got, though. I haven't got a clue. Uh, first Chelsea goal, 2019. Um, first Premier League goal for Chelsea. First Premier League goal. Jorginho? It's good, but it's not right. Simon, can you continue this incredible run of steals? Yes, because I was there too. And and he scored in the Champions League. He had a couple of weeks before. All right, just give it us. <laughs> he was he was on loan at the time. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Kovacic. Mateo Kovacic oh, is correct. Can't, is I can't deal with this. Two and nobody's got one of their questions right. Uh, Simon, here's your third and final. Which former Scotland international got the only goal of the game on Chelsea's first ever Premier League visit to Goodison Park in 1992? Scottish international. <laughs> 1992. <laughs> Listen, you can't see the rancour that is going on between the two contestants this week, but it's I want spicy. it. I want it bad today. <laughs> I'm gonna. I don't think this is right, but I'm gonna say John Spencer. He's got it wrong. Who is it, Sam? That's who I was going for. Give me the question again. <laughs> Which former Scotland international got the only goal of the game on Chelsea's first ever Premier League visit to Goodison Park in 1992? Oh, it's got to be. Um, it's got to be Steve Clark. Hasn't. It's got to be Robert Fleck. Oh, oh no. <laughs> did you say striker as well? You said striker, didn't you? No, so I that, didn't. That, I said Scotland that, International. Did you not? No. I was going to oh. say, yeah, that would have filled us, wouldn't it, Sam? Yeah. 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 Okay, so <laughs> this to win it then, Sam, basically. Uh, it's one of those questions you don't like, actually. In 39 games, how many goals did Frank Lampard score against Everton? Oh, God. Korea, this is not just Chelsea. Thanks to our friends at Transfermarkt for the stat for this one. Great question. What's my window? There's no window. It's got to be accurate. We've got, what, two? 50 39 odd, games in total. 20, so that would be... Sure, we can all remember some of them. 39 games in total. Yep. He scored... 12. It's not right, I'm afraid. So, Simon, you can steal the win here if you can steal a game. Well, I mean, it's just a punt, isn't it? There's got to be too many, that, isn't it? You reckon? Mind games. <laughs> I'm going to go as well. 17. Oof, my word. Yeah, he's good, but he's not that good. The answer was 10. Yeah, slightly less than you think, actually, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, was, I, yeah. Was, I was always going to say 20, and I thought, I'll take a few off. <laughs> well, that was Good fun. Yeah. Uh, Two all. Uh, hey, do you know what? I'll take the point, pop it in my pocket, and... Uh, it might be crucial at the end of the season. I'm happy with that, <laughs> off Simon. 2-2, two, two, listener, I hope you did better than that. Uh, OK, before we go elsewhere on The Athletic, Alan Shearer had a chat with Tammy Abraham. There's plenty of insight from Tammy in that about how things ended uh, for him at Stamford Bridge. Well worth a read of that. Uh, Simon, what are you going to be working on? Well, timing yeah, is de- depending on timing, but hopefully on Saturday, uh, a piece with a big interview, Josh McEachran, is um is is coming out. I interviewed Josh earlier this week. Um obviously touched a lot on his time at Chelsea. Um his uh <laughs> his 
the fact that he trained Scolari was the first one that actually brought him over to train with the first team, not Carlo Ancelotti. But obviously, talked a lot about Ancelotti, um, Ray Wilkins, his influence on him, the way that he found out that he wasn't part of Chelsea anymore, courtesy of some brilliant man management or lack of it from Jose Mourinho, and then and then sort of one one of the reasons why the timing of this piece is so is so so good in my opinion is that. MK Dons, as, as popular or as unpopular as they may be, um, have got a chance of automatic promotion on Saturday um, if results go their way, if they win and Rotherham drop points. And, of course, Josh McEachran has, has found a new lease of life. He's probably playing his most consistent, um, best football um, for a while now. He's been injury-free and, and long may it continue. But, um, but yeah, the piece starts, though, with a with a bit of a nugget, which I, which I won't um, share just, just yet. That's a lovely tease. Uh, Sam, you and I, of course, are regulars on the Totally Football League show, so we know all about MK Dons this season. It feels to me like Josh McEachern's got the kind of manager who would absolutely love at the moment because Liam Manning likes getting the ball down and playing football, and, and that's kind of what McEachern's good at. Yeah, just thinking as Simon was speaking there, of all the clubs in the country, he's probably at the one that he's going to prosper the most at considering the way that they play, not only now on the Manning, but previously under Russell Martin as well. So they've got, they've got like, well, last season when I scored, saw them in the flesh, they had four or five of these kind of languid, stylish, left-footed midfielders, which of course uh, he fits right into that bracket. Uh, you know, they've got some fantastic players um, and got a good chance, as Simon said, they need some results to go their way. But yeah, I think they'll, they'll be back in the, the championship, if not this season, certainly in the next few. Yeah, their manager, really impressive, and 36 years old, um, which is pretty tragic for those of us <laughs> a fair way north of that. Uh, right, we'll be back on Monday when we'll be reflecting on that Everton game, filling you in on everything else that's happened in the world of the Blues, of course, too. Do join us for that if you can. Until then, with many thanks to Flo, to Sam, to Simon, and to producer Lucy, but mainly to you, listener. Uh, we will catch up with you again on Monday. Bye for now. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code The Athletic, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a fifteen hundred dollar first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.